Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. In the epistle of 1 John, there are three main sections. The fellowship of the divine life from the beginning of the book through chapter 2, verse 11. The teaching of the anointing starting in chapter 2, verse 12 through verse 27 and the virtues of the divine birth from chapter 2, verse 28, through the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 21. The sequence of these three sections is important, and it indicates that the fellowship of the divine life and the teaching of the divine anointing bring us into the virtues of the divine birth. Well, today, you've joined Bob Danker and I as we're discussing this third section— Bob, could you give our listeners a background to today's life study message from 1 John? Well, Matt, of course, we've almost covered the first two chapters of this book. In the beginning of this book, the Apostle John tells us that there was one who was in the beginning. This one who is the eternal life was incarnated. He became a man with a solid human form. And so, John says, that they, the apostles, saw him with their eyes, they heard him with their ears, they handled him with their hands, and now they were reporting this person to the believers so that the believers might have fellowship with the apostles and with the triune God. So when the believers received the report of the apostles concerning Christ, then they receive the very eternal life, which is Christ himself. This life enters into them, and they are brought into a marvelous realm called the fellowship of life. And this fellowship of life is just the flowing, the circulation of the divine life in our being, especially in our spirit. Now, according to First uh, John here, we need to know how to maintain this fellowship. And the first thing we need to do is to walk in the light— so that we realize that we still have sin. And we need to confess our sins and be forgiven. This is the first thing we need to do to maintain the fellowship of the divine life. The second thing we need to do is to love the brothers. We need to love one another. Certainly, if we don't love each other or our fellow believers, we will lose the fellowship of life. Then John ushers us into this wonderful matter of the teaching of the divine anointing. This anointing that John mentions here refers to the Spirit who is within us and who moves within us to anoint us with God and with all the riches of what God is. 
And this anointing, as it moves in us, it teaches us concerning the triune God, and according to its teaching, we abide in the triune God. And that brings us, as you mentioned, to the third section of the book, which is the virtues of the divine birth. And that is where we begin our fellowship today. I want to read chapter 2, verse 29, as we begin our program today. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been begotten of him. This is a key phrase, that we have been begotten of him. Let's go to Witness Lee for the printed life study message number 26 from the life study of 1 John. From verse 28 of chapter 2, this whole section shows us how much enjoyment that we have received from the divine birth. And all the enjoyment that we have received from the divine birth are its virtues. Its virtues. The divine birth does bring us a lot of virtues. And we can only enjoy these virtues by the fellowship of the divine life and the teaching of the anointing. So, the divine birth is the basis. And the divine birth brings us the divine seed. And on this seed, we partake the divine nature for our growth in the divine life. As we have the divine life, so by this life, we can abide in the triumph God. We live the divine life in our human living, a life that practices the divine righteousness, that loves the brothers, and that overcomes all the negative things. To practice this divine righteousness, that means to make it a kind of a common daily life, so habitual and so unintentional. If you do some righteousness intentionally with a purpose, that is not a daily life matter. That is just kind of a politics, because you do righteousness with a purpose, to get a name, to get a position, to get a kind of a reward and so forth. But we Christians as the children of God, saturated by the righteous God, spontaneously we live such a life, which is a life of righteousness, because through the abiding, in the righteous God, we got infused, saturated with him, then our living is just expression of such righteous God, and this righteous God becomes our righteous living, you see? And this righteous living is just our daily righteousness. Not just an outward behavior, but the manifestation of the inward life. Not just an act of purpose, but the flow of life from within the divine nature we partake of. Bob, when we abide in the Lord, then practicing the divine righteousness is effortless and even unconscious. I enjoyed that word, unconscious. 
I'm going to give an example, and then I'd like you to comment. Have you noticed that when drivers are breaking the speed limit or any other moving vehicle violation, that they're constantly looking over their shoulder to see if a policeman is noticing them as they break the law? This watching over the shoulder is not a part of abiding in the Lord, is it? It's completely different than that. It's very different. Actually, we need to realize, I was so impressed by what Witness Lee said here, we have been born of God. That means we have God's life with God's divine nature within us. And in this life and in this nature, there are many, many virtues and attributes. It goes along with the nature that we have received. So, if we are filled with the divine life, if the divine life has the chance, the opportunity to grow in us and to fill us, then more and more we will spontaneously live a righteous life, a life that is, as you said, effortlessly righteous, not deliberately doing righteous things uh, as looking over the shoulder to see if the policeman is around so that we won't get a traffic ticket. No, we don't need to live in such an outward and intentional way. We need to enjoy the divine nature that we have received from the Lord and allow this nature to be lived out of us unintentionally and effortlessly as a habitual thing, as a actually a matter of daily living. It's a spontaneous thing, just as you don't need to teach a cat how to chase mice because it's in his nature. You don't need to teach a child of God how to practice righteousness because it's in his nature. The question is, do we live our human life by the divine life and the divine nature, or do we live our human life by our human life and human nature, which, as we know, are fallen? If the latter is true, then Many times we have to deliberately practice something righteous because this is not our habit to do that. It's not our habit to live righteously. But if we live by the divine life with the divine nature, we will habitually live in a righteous way as an expression of this life and nature that we have received from God. This is a marvelous thing, and this is what God wants to see in the living of all his children. When we enter into this experience, Bob, it takes a lot of the sweating, the straining, the struggling out of the Christian life, and it can become a more spontaneous, normal kind of living. That's right, Matt. And again, we have to emphasize the importance of the fellowship of life. When we're enjoying the fellowship of life, and when the Spirit as the divine ointment is moving in us, then we enjoy the riches of the divine life, and spontaneously, then in our living, we express all the virtues of the divine nature. And this is a glory to God. Well, let's go on, Bob. I really enjoy the next verse that we're going to get into. There's a song, actually, about it that I, I like to sing this song. I'm, I don't think we better do that right now. But, but anyway, it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And if you know the song, I think you'll enjoy it also. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and we are. Because of this, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Here's Witness Lee. Seeing what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we are called children of God. Here, the Apostle John stresses 
our divine birth. You see, he refers this divine birth to the begetting father. He says, see, or look, what manner of love the begetting father has given to us that we are called children of God. Surely this is a wonder. What a manner of life. Wonderful manner. A wonderful love. A love of wonder. Now, the children of God have a great future. Sometimes I heard some say, they don't have a future. I said, what? You don't have a future. We all have a great future. No unbelievers could have such a future as we have. We have a great future with a more splendid blessing as indicated by it has not been manifested what we shall be. What we shall be is still a mystery, a divine mystery. What we shall be has not yet manifested. All the future today the human beings have have been manifested. We know. We know what is to be rich. We know what is to have a catalog. We know what to be promoted, what to have their wages increased, how to make 200,000 or quarter million or half million or one million. We know this. All these things are quite manifest to us. But the children of God, their future has not been manifested. We cannot imagine, even cannot dream, what shall we be? What shall we be has not yet been manifested. So this indicates our future may be more wonderful. We do have a great future with splendid blessing. A great future with splendid blessing. I really enjoy that, Bob. When I read the facts in God's Word from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and see this wonderful future that God has for all the children of God, it makes me wonder how I, and all Christians for that matter, could ever be despondent, yet it happens. We are despondent about our future, yet you wonder how it could happen when you realize this. We really need to forget about those thoughts that doubt the future and really enjoy the fact that God has prepared for us in this wonderful future, don't we? That's right. And the future that we have is wrapped up in the fact that we are the children of God. We have actually been born of God. And the Father has bestowed on us this wonderful love. You know, John says, what manner of love? What manner of love is this? that the Father bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and we are. That means we have been begotten of God, we have his life, we have his nature, and our future is altogether related to our being the children of God with his life and nature. We get discouraged, of course, when we look at ourselves in the flesh as sons of men, children of men with a fallen nature, sometimes failing, falling down, and so forth. We get discouraged. But when we realize that we have the divine life, we have the divine nature, and this life is growing in us, and when it reaches maturity, we will realize the full blessing that God has prepared for us in our future. 
And so in verse 2 it says, It has not yet been manifested what we shall be, but we know that when he is manifested, we will be like him. This is our future. Our future is to be the same as Jesus Christ, the firstborn Son of God. What a future we have. Who could have a brighter future than the children of God? Wow, this is amazing. In Romans 8, it talks about being conformed to the image of the firstborn Son of God. And in 2 Peter 1, 4, it talks about we are partakers of the divine nature. And I wanted to mention that first because some people say we're not really real sons. We're just adopted sons. And, and that's why the emphasis over and over, we are begotten of him. We are born of him. And we're partakers of his divine nature. We're not just called the sons of God. We are the children of God. Marvelous. Okay, Bob, let's go on, and I'm going to read verse 9 from chapter 3. This section on practicing the divine righteousness ends in verse 10 of chapter 3. So let me read 9. I think that's a good summary. All the verses are good, but we'll just read that one. Everyone who has been begotten of God does not practice sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he has been begotten of God. Here's Witness Lee for the conclusion of today's life study message. No child of God practice sin habitually. We could sin occasionally, but we do not practice sin habitually. For instance, to lie. If we practice lie all the day long habitually, uh-huh, this is a sign by which we would doubt whether you have been really born of God. If you don't have the divine life in you as a seed, sure you cannot lie habitually. Everyone who abides in Christ does not sin habitually. The devil is one who sins habitually. I tell you, to sin is his living. It is not only his job, his profession. It is his living. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might undo the words of the devil. Christ did a lot on the cross to take away sin and to condemn sin and to destroy the power of uh, the devil. So, everyone who has been begotten of God does not practice sin habitually. Because God's seed, that is divine life, abides in him. When we live by this life, we don't sin habitually. But why sometimes we still sin? Because our body is still the old creation, right? And this is not only the body created by God, but also the flesh corrupted, poisoned by the devil. And his sin is still in our flesh. If we live by the divine life in our spirit, surely we don't sin. But once we do not live in the spirit, but rather sometimes we are living in the flesh. At that juncture, we may sin. Now you can see again why we are fighting for the spirit. Because this is directly related to the anointing. If we don't stand for the anointing, 
we would lose the fellowship. Through this anointing, you know what? We now enjoy all the virtues of the divine life. Bob, in this light, the fight for the Spirit is vital and the enemy knows it. So he really attacks this point. Every Christian is familiar with the poison of sin in them that results in the outward sins that we all hate. Yet we also know that when we live by the divine life in our spirit, we don't sin. Seems pretty clear, but Satan really has a way to mix us up, doesn't he? He really does, Matt. Um, He distracts us from the fact that we have the divine life and the divine nature. We have been begotten of God. We have God's seed in our spirit. If we live in our spirit, we will live a life of habitual righteousness, and we will not practice sin habitually, which is lawlessness. This does not mean that we will never commit a sin. Whenever we are not living in our spirit, enjoying the divine life and the fellowship of life, then we have the strong possibility that we will commit some kind of sin. Actually, in our flesh, we are no different from an unbeliever. Our flesh never changes. This is why we have to focus our attention on our divine birth and on the divine seed within us and all the time pray without ceasing to contact the Lord, to enjoy the fellowship of life, to enjoy the anointing of the Spirit in our spirit. This will cause us to spontaneously be able to live a life of righteousness, a life in which we do not practice sin. Anyone who, after he hears the gospel and believes the gospel, still practices sin and sins habitually. This is his life, like the devil. The devil is a sinner. He sins. He doesn't uh, sin as a kind of a intentional activity. He sins as a habitual way of life. We believers, because we have the divine life and divine nature and divine seed in us, we can't live that way. We may sin occasionally when we are not living in our spirit, but immediately we realize that we have offended the Lord and we feel we must repent and confess our sins, right, to receive the Lord's forgiveness. Then we can come back to enjoy the fellowship of the divine life again and continue to live a life of righteousness as we live out the divine nature. So uh, this is a marvelous thing. This shows us the capacity of the divine life that we have received. It is able to keep us from sinning. You know, one uh, thing I want to add before we sign off here today, Bob, is this matter you just brought up about practicing sin. And and I think when some people read this verse, they it really confuses them because it says, everyone who's been begotten of God does not practice sin. Well, there are believers who do sin, but the word practice there means habitually sin. And so after you're a believer, you may still sin, but it's not a habitual sinning. And those who are unbelievers, they may actually do righteous things, but they don't do it in an unintentional, habitual way. I think we need to make that distinction, don't we? That's very good, Matt. Very clear. Well, Bob, uh, we've run out of time. Thanks for coming into the studio and doing this program with me today. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for joining us. If you'd like to get the printed materials that we have available to go along with this radio program, we can never 
cover it all on the radio. It's only a, a little foretaste for you. If you want to get into the details, you really need to get the printed materials. And those are available if, by calling 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can write to Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. On behalf of Bob Danker, this is Matt Miller. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back and join us for our next program. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.